welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. Uh, today we'll be discussing Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, and I have two of the perfect guests joining me this evening to talk about the movie, uh, Brent, uh, David Brendan Wilson and the blurred girl, Karma Horn. Um, Brendan Wilson is a Los Angeles-based filmmaker and educator. He's been a classroom teacher since 2005, which is one of the reasons I wanted him on this podcast to talk about Spider-Man, since this is a very high school-driven uh, movie. Um, he's directed numerous short films and two feature films, most recently Sepulveda, which he co-directed with his wife, Jenna English. Sepulveda has won awards at local festivals and is currently available for rent or purchase on Vimeo On Demand, which I will be checking it out on. Um, he writes essays in film and culture at uh, thegeniusbastard.com and tweets at genius underscore bastard. And Karama Horn, a.k.a. Blurred Girl, frequent contributor to the podcast, is a freelance commercial video editor by day and comic book reading, anime watching, TV live tweets, K-pop listening, blog writing, superhero geek girl by night on a mission to shine a light on both characters and sequential artists of color. She provides commentary, reviews, interviews on her popular Tumblr and official website, blurredgirl.com, which is B-L-E-R-D-G-U-R-L.com. Really great site folks should check out. Karama is busy fixing up her century-old brownstone in Bedford-Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn, i.e. a fellow New Yorker, joining me to talk about a very, very mm-hmm. New York superhero movie. Um, I'm, uh, I'm playing host while Brett is out finishing watching, uh, writing up his own review of the movie right now. Um, so I hopefully I got people in right. But David, are, are you there also? Brendan? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, great. Okay, I wasn't Hello? sure if I connected you properly okay. because... I don't really know what I'm doing when it comes to the technical side of this on occasion. So thank you guys both. <laughs> Real quick, I also want to do a shout-out. Tomorrow, I'm going to be on Salon, um, salon.com. They have a Facebook Live uh, thing on their Facebook page. And at 3 p.m., oh, wow. I will be on to talk about Game of Thrones with former guest at our own podcast, Amanda Marcotte. So I'm really looking forward to that. I hope folks will give us a listen live and ask questions and talk about one of the best TV shows. Um, so, so thanks. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, you know, I just want to say for our listeners, this is going to be full of spoilers. You know, the one thing that I can say to you before the spoiler stuff begins is that I think the movie was great and you should see it. Do you guys like, did you guys like the movie in general? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. What about you, Brandon? Yes. 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 I, I enjoyed it a great deal. Absolutely. I've already so, seen it twice. I've seen it already. Excellent. (laughs) So there you have it. Go see the movie right now and then come back and listen to the podcast. And now for the rest of us who have all seen the movie, let's get into it. Um, (laughs) You know, like many people who I know, I really uh, had zero interest in watching another Peter Parker origin (laughs) story. And I also had zero interest in watching another Peter Parker story. I, I really wanted this to be Miles Morales. It wasn't. Um, but if we were going to be stuck with another white Peter Parker, this is the way to do it, in my opinion. Um, you know, it feels like this really should have been Miles' story. There's literally no reason why this couldn't have been a Miles Morales story. It would have been so much richer for it and yeah. much more reflective of New York City that we live in today. Um, but uh, Tom Holland was a fabulous actor, and uh, they still should have hired a person of color for the role. Uh, but Tom Holland was a, was, was a, a joy to watch, and I'm sure there are Afro-Latino boys who would have been just as awesome. Uh, that said, again, good performance there. 
And, uh, I mean, what did you guys think of the decision to go with Peter Parker, and what did you think of the performance of Peter Parker? I kind of agree um, that I thought Tom Holland did a really good job. I'm a little bit annoyed at the fact that they used almost the universe of Miles Morales. Um, <laughs> yeah. Peter Parker in it because I know everybody's like, oh, but his best friend's Kenny. I'm like, that's Ganke. I don't care what anybody says, but that is Ganke from um, yeah. his, who is Miles Morales' best friend who was always playing with Legos and looked exactly like him. So it's like, I, no one can tell me different. Come on Twitter and fight me. I'm serious. It's the same character. Um, but at the end of the day, um, they went with Sam and Lee's wishes and he said a long time ago that Spider-Man in the MCU was always going to get be Peter Parker. So I think they tried to uh, accommodate everybody. At the same time, it does look like Queens today. Mm. I think they did a really good job with that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot about Spider-Man Homecoming that should not have worked. It actually violates a lot of the com- conventional wisdom about what people want to see. Number one, yeah, Spider-Man, frankly, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of tired. It's really amazing that it's done as well as it has, and I think it's a testament to the sort of the mythology that was created about uh, around the character, that the fact that people still are showing up after – uh, a couple of dreadful films uh, that have come out that really have worn out. The, the characters welcome should have been worn out. Um, the director is sort of, you know, someone who has credits, but nothing that is really impressive. And again, Marvel's often uh, uh, been criticized for hiring people more on the strength of how they handle um, talking scenes rather than being stylist or action directors, uh, with some exceptions, but, you know, he's, uh, John Watts, there's nothing about him that's particularly, you know, interesting, but the movie, nevertheless, the movie works, it's got six writers, three teams of writers, again, usually not a good sign, but somehow, they really, the, the, and I guess this is the producer, was where Kevin Feige gets to shine, they really sort of had a clear vision of what they wanted to do, that they didn't repeat anything that we've seen in the Raimi films or the Mark Webb films, and that they're still, and yeah, yes, you're absolutely right, that they, they, they pilfered a bit they, uh, from Miles Morales, um, and again, I'm not, as far as, the, as that, I mean, I get it. It's Peter Parker. They want to. They want to start with him. They left the door open for Miles Morales with uh, a line in there. They they're, clearly they're leaving the door open that perhaps one day they'll pass the torch. And honestly, my first thought was, why do we have to go back to high school? Why can't we have Peter Parker at you know, who's been doing this for a while? And then there's another set of stakes. But I get it. And of course, they want to have the sort of John Hughes aspect of the Marvel universe introduced in that. It, and it worked. And it all worked. But, yeah, there were a lot of things about this film, probably, I'd say, almost second only to Guardians, the first one, where you, you, I think a lot of people were, including myself, were like, what the hell are they doing with that? Um, where, yeah, this, it, it, it maybe should, should have worked as well as it did, but it did, and it's to their credit. Yeah, I, I would agree I with also, that in I, general. I think, I think they were smart about it also, in that, and I think you're right about the Kevin Feige thing, because there was... First of all, the young adult market right now is where all of the money's at. Like, mm-hmm. even, in, even in comics, that's where all the money's at. Um, TPBs across the, the trade paperbacks across the board, I think, are making more money as young adult, when they're marketed as young adult books versus 
um, straight like floppies right now. And I think the same thing is happening in, in the in the movies. But they were smart in that even though it took place in a high school, and I, it totally reminded me of the Amazing Spider-Man animated series that I saw as a kid, but it also reminded, it also had enough stuff going for the older crowd that knew, that knows the Spider-Man, like, lore. There was enough Easter eggs and enough um, different characters that were teased. Like, they teased so many Spider-Man villains in Homecoming. It was awesome. And you had just said that um, they kind of had that one line about Miles Morales. Yeah, when Donald Glover showed up and they said he was Aaron Davis, I almost fell out of my chair because that's not only the Thrasher, that's Miles' uncle. So I was like, how are they going to do this? Like, you know. Um, But at the same time, one of his high school friends the um, one of the Asian girls on the debate team is named Cindy, and I'm like, is that Cindy Moon? You know, like, are we about are we going to see like a whole Spider-Man team up happening here? Um, so yeah, I think I think they did a really good job of trying to, you know, look, their their goal is to make money, and so at the end of the day, I think they were like, how can we get something that the parents, the kids, and everybody in between are going to really enjoy? I think somebody who is like a die-hard um, Spider-Man um, comic book nerd might not love this movie, but if you're looking at it as an entertaining, I don't even feel like it's a reboot. It just sort of feels like because of all those uh, the ways they were retrofitting it into Civil War, it almost felt like a continuation of Civil War, War because almost mm-hmm. all of those characters popped up, like the, the randomness of the Captain America like PSAs, uh, which was also very reminiscent of sort of like one to grow on and the more you know <laughs> after mm-hmm. school thing. Um, I think all of that stuff, along with the newer, um, the newer gear, the newer tech, I loved how because when the first guy showed up for Shocker, I was like, well, I thought both Team Woodbine supposed to be Shocker, and then <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, now he is. So I you guys really are kind cool of coming in and out in terms of volume right now. Sorry. Um, like, right when you said okay. Shocker, it kind of gets quiet. Well, all I was saying was um, I found it interesting how Bokeem Woodbine was always, you know, billed as Shocker, but the movie started with somebody else's Shocker. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, okay, nope, now he is Shocker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they handled that pretty humorously. I mean, they did a great job of dealing with a very large cast of characters. I, I thought that the students were just really wonderful. And I, I left the movie, like, honestly, like, the, the the two main things that I was most eager to talk about after coming out of the movie are two things that have largely been absent from other Marvel movies, I mean, which, which, were, which were really, like, the presence of New York City, which is, of course, a huge thing in the TV universe, but has not really been a thing in the movies yet. And then, frankly, MJ and Liz. Like, the, the you know, yeah. two members of the supporting cast, the two female characters in there. Um, I just, like, I could just talk your ear off about them, and I, I will probably do so very shortly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this really is the only Marvel movie that is a high school movie in a real way. Like, none of them have been grounded. Even the Sony Spider-Man movies, like, they weren't grounded in 
a high school in the same way that this movie is. Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up watching the John Hughes movies, even though I'm exactly the right age to have done so. Um, but I totally got the, you know, the riff on Ferris Bueller from when Peter is running back through all the yards. They might as well have actually been playing the song by English Beat that they use in the movie. Uh, they actually played mm-hmm. a different song by English Beat uh, when he was preparing for the homecoming dance, which I thought was a lovely choice. But um, they, and in case you didn't catch the Ferris Bueller reference, like they, he literally runs past the movie because someone's watching Ferris Bueller. And he's like, I love that movie. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that that's something which is new to the Marvel Universe and fun and, and warranted. Um, and it, I'm just glad we didn't have to watch another, another you know, origin story. I, I feel like the one thing that's missing to me in, in this not being an origin story, and I think that there would be ways of doing this which would not require us to have a complete retelling of the same damn thing we all know by now, is I do miss there being someone saying, with great power comes great responsibility. This movie shows that, actually. Mm-hmm. This movie shows the story of that with respect to how badly... Tony Stark actually abuses and ignores his power. Tony Stark, yeah. as per usual, fucks up here. But I, I just, you know, I am a sucker for that one damn line, and I, I do miss it a little bit, even though they showed it rather than spelling it out. Yeah. 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 yeah um, as for John Hughes, um, they, uh, it, it clearly was a model, and yet, of course, it, in some ways, it goes beyond what John Hughes was able to do. One of the things that mm-hmm. this reminded me of, um, because, you know, I'm 46, so I was, I was prime John Hughes. I was literally in, I think, uh, high school when, uh, or middle, the end of middle when uh, 16 Candles came out, and I kind of, that was my, that was happening as I was in high school. So uh, those films are near and dear, but I do remember reading that the last and kind of least loved of the John Hughes films teenager films, high school films, Some Kind of Wonderful, which came out in early 1987, um, there was a moment where they were considering uh, for the Amanda Jones, who is the sort of Liz Allen of that story. It's a, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, a third iteration of their love triangle, which you can sort of see in Michelle, quote-unquote Michelle, Peter, and Liz. It's that same kind of love triangle with the sort of, uh, that, that they've established in Homecoming. So um, when they were casting the sort of the, the, the great beauty, the one who's the, the Liz Allen character, there was a moment where Lisa Bonet was considered for the part, and this was a big deal because the thing about John Hughes films, as I'm sure you all know who've seen them, is they're incredibly white. They're very, very, yeah. very white. There's really not yeah. diversity. And the few times that people of color are referenced or appear, they can be very problematic. Uh, you know, we can, that's a whole other podcast. So Lisa Bonet was considered, and uh, according to her, and who knows, I mean, I remember, I remember reading this article, she says that she kind of, first she put herself out there like, why not me, and she was sort of grossed out by the response. She didn't name John Hughes personally, but just the, the producers in general. Um, she was so grossed out by their sort of response that the novelty of having this, this uh, you know, non-white girl, this you know, mixed girl or black girl, depending on your, your perspective, the love interest that she sort of she was sort of being considered for it. So now here we are with not even, you know, one, but two uh, you know, women of color in part. So, I mean, there's something yeah. like, in, in the 30 year span I think that says a lot about you know, what we've gotten, thanks to a lot of um, yeah. so it's sort of updated John what? Hughes in a good way. And I, and I also think that it was, 
it, they used, um, and it's funny because I wonder whether or not it, this would have played as well back then either. They kind of used that to their advantage, like um, because Liz is mixed race, but it's not even addressed, talked about, or hinted at until her father, who happens, yes, you know, to be his so, nemesis, answers mm-hmm. the door. So now it's funny because I know, like in real life, I'm pretty sure the actress is mixed race. Yeah, um, she is. But it was just it was interesting how that wasn't even addressed or talked about. And then when he answered the door, everybody's like, you know, I remember, it's funny because in the theater I was in, someone was like, what the hell is she adopted? And I was and I just remember giggling to myself because I'm like, no, we come in all shapes. Shades, and I just remember also being giggling that Garcelle Bouvet was her mother. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> I actually don't know that actress, but I, yeah, I was just listen. I was just listening to um, the Blurred uh, a Black Nerd podcast, and what, mm-hmm. when they interviewed um, Liz Harrier, the actress who plays Liz Allen, she said that the casting for that role was open to any race, and. I'm really glad that they went with a person of color for the obvious reasons, but also like it, it, it is, they, I, the movie shouldn't have been open race casting for that role. That role really needs to be played by a person of color because when you have that moment where you realize, Oh, her dad is this white guy. And we never even considered that that could be the connection or the relationship. I think that really makes the viewers who are white, at least question our assumptions about who is and isn't in a particular family unit. Right. And you right. wouldn't have had that moment. We wouldn't have had that moment. Exactly. You wife. wouldn't have had that otherwise. Yeah. You know, so I was really, no, I, I, I thought that was agree. wonderful. And I thought, yeah, I thought that was really smart too. I also think it's hilarious. People are losing their minds over Zendaya as, as MJ. And I'm, and because I was like, okay, MJ, there have been a lot of people with M in their initials in the Spider-Man universe. So, um, I don't think she's Mary Jane, but really? I mean, you know a lot of people are saying she is because it's MJ. No, I don't. I think they're doing another bait and switch. I think they're gonna say it's like a, a, another iteration of maybe Michelle Gonzalez or something, and they're they're gonna say her middle name is Janine or something. I don't know. They could do it. They could do a number of things. I mean, it would be awesome if she was Mary Jane, but I don't. I'm I'm on the fence. I I I, I believe they're gonna come out like when's the next movie? 2019? 2020? 2019, yeah. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. They've got to rush them because they're trying to do they're trying to do the Hogwarts thing. So they've got to really rush these things through. They can't they can't have three years elapsing between. So right, the kids will look too much older. Right. What, what, I mean, I don't and know. Then, and is is there the next Avengers movie? Because I'm also thinking of that cast. Like they gotta hurry up because they're getting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're, that's the next. They're one, getting up there too. Um, I mean, well, yeah, I don't know. You, you you think she's Mary Jane because I I very much think she's Mary Jane. Very much so. It, yeah, it never really. I mean, I suppose it could be the kid, but no, I pretty much have been uh, under the assumption that she's a Mary Jane, and that yeah, they've made some changes. Clearly, it's interesting too because you go back to the original comics. 
um, Peter kind of has three early love interests, and they're very each one is sort of like has a different domain. So Gwen Stacy is his intellectual equal, and MJ mm-hmm. Mary Jane is is the party girl. She's the fun one. Yeah. Um, and and you know, and of course there's um, Betty Brant who is sort of the more nurturing one who's got a, a very small part in this. Um, she's named in this, but yeah, and I, I sort of like the fact that they. That they, you know, Liz is clearly sort of functioning in a Gwen Stacy sort of role. So, you know, maybe her name isn't Mary Jane, and she's just going to be sort of serve in that, in that, you know, serve as MJ, even if she's not Mary Jane. But I like the fact that neither of them, they're, they're sort of just throwing out these dichotomies that that the girls have to be this one thing or the other. They're actually both pretty brainy, and I love mm-hmm. that uh, Liz is really. She's, you know, again, we'll, we'll get into this, I'm sure. The fact that it's a, a science high school, and this is so that everyone is a science nerd, and not just Peter Parker. That was a great, right. was a great, uh, a great touch, very much in keeping what's what's going on right yeah. now in education. And I think that was great for the girls too, that they both got to be. There was neither one, they didn't, one of them didn't have to play the party girl. They got both, they both got to be the smart girl. Yes, yeah. you know, it was so important to me, like, as a kid, like, you just didn't see, if this movie was made in an earlier decade or by a different director, one of the girls would be, only one of them would get to be the smart girl, right, and um, right. both of them would be ignoring Peter because, you know, because he's, quote, nerdy. In this movie, actually, mm-hmm. both girls like Peter. The fact that this movie right. acknowledges that it's actually Peter's fuck-up, that he doesn't end up with Liz, is such a rebuke of all of the sort of MRA, like men's right activist psychology uh, yeah. that really has yeah. gone and poisons everything. Like in these guys' minds, all girls are the popular girl and all girls are rejecting them, which is just not the reality right. of the mm-hmm. world. Like we all know, having lived it, like actually the, there are girls who are nerds and there's girls who are outsiders and things like that. And boys ignore us and things like that. And uh, they refused to see it any other way. And, you know, Spider-Man was invented as a character. You know, Steve Ditko had very much had this, like, Ayn Rand philosophy where he was going to be this lone, put-upon, smart kid who everyone else was going to make fun of. And he was better than everyone, and he was a loner. And he was going to be rejected by everybody in his normal uh, daily appearance. But as Spider-Man, as Spider-Man, they'd realized he was special. And right. that's... I mean, that's interesting, but it's not fucking healthy. And I'm so happy to see a movie say, actually, these girls like this nerdy guy. And actually, it's his own contact, his own behavior towards them that makes them not end up staying with him. And actually, he doesn't even notice this one girl who's nerdier than him. And that Peter has friends. I mean, I think that these are really socially significant, powerful, good choices that the movie has made. I think this is going to be like literally a liberating moment for girls who are nerdy watching this movie. Like the fact that he doesn't get that MJ has a crush on him. Right. Like, and that she's yes. played by Zendaya of all people. Right. Like that is radical. Also, I, think, radical. I think the other thing, and the other great thing about that Zendaya's interpretation of MJ is that she's also, not only is she the smart girl, she's also like the activist girl. Mm-hmm. Like she's not yes. like you were just saying, David, she's always been like the party girl or the, that's what made her an outsider. In this case, which her, the little bit, uh, <clears throat> when everybody at the school is a geek and a nerd, what makes you an outsider are other things. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of like a little bit socially awkward, but definitely has her causes. And gets, she's like, I want to get a little, you know, light protesting in when we're at the Washington Monument. And um, 
you know, some of the, you know, the little quirky joke about like, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't really get into like a monument built by slaves. He's like, well, this wasn't really built by slaves. And then the, <laughs> and then Park the security Ranger. guard is like, yeah, kind of, kind of was, yeah. <laughs> so just little moments like that. Um, and then I think that, and I agree though, that it's so nice to have these strong personality girls. And it's funny though, I kind of felt that I, I kind of wanted to, I was rooting for Michelle a little bit because I liked her character a little bit better than Liz. Yeah, like, not me that too. I hated Liz or anything like that, but I really liked yeah. Matthias' character. And I also find it, found it interesting how they styled her because I'm used to seeing Zendaya styled like they styled Liz. Straighten her hair, put a right. ton of makeup on her. And she, not that she looked like she rolled out of bed, but she was very natural looking and very, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. she wore her hair curly, but sometimes it was pulled up, sometimes it was kind of in a face, whatever. Like, kind of went with her personality. Um, right. And I also even liked a little bit of what they did with Aunt May. Like, Aunt May wasn't just at home, like, I don't know what's going on with you. She was like, you're going out every right. night. I figured out what you're doing. I checked you. And even the very last scene of the movie where she's like, Okay, anybody who hasn't seen it, totally don't listen now. But <laughs> when she actually sees him and figures out who he is, was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, one one other thing about the... I was going to say, this is... Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I just was just quickly that it reminded me, of course, of over on DC of Lois Lane sort of like dispatching right away that she, of course she knows that Clark is Spider is Superman, excuse me. So yeah, I, I thought it was great that now the other big one that, uh, how could she not know? Like it's, it's interesting that these both have been now sort of laid to rest in the movies and that, you know, they, they know. And now it, it makes you respect the characters more the, and, and it, it opens it up to a lot of more possibilities dramatically. That was it. That's a very good point. Um, one other thought with respect, though, to uh, MJ's personality is that she's actually Jessica Jones from the Bendis comics. You know, in, in, mm. in Marvel Comics, he retconned it so that right, Jessica Jones right, went right. to school with Peter Parker. And she had a crush on Peter Parker, and he didn't even notice her. And Jessica Jones' main personality trait, basically, is being sarcastic all the time. So basically, you're right. Jessica Jones in the movie, and I, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, but I just I, that was literally the first thing I said out when I left the movie to the folks I was with. It's like MJ is actually Jessica Jones's personality. Um, but yeah, I, I I really just like we don't get many movies with two nerdy girls, and I, I, I like that's not even something we're offered, even though they're both conventionally attractive, and one of them even cares what her hair looks like. It's still like progress, absolutely. Um, yes. Now the key is here. How do we go forward? How, you know, is Michelle going to transform into MJ? Is it going to be the classic sort of teen movie thing where, you know, she's unveiled with the you know, makeup on and Peter realizes, like, that's going to be an interesting thing? Or does she get to keep being this in Michelle, you know, this character? Is, is it going to be just a minute sort of uh, evolution? Uh, I'm very curious. To see that. I, I, hope she, uh, I hope she know, gets so. to keep. I hope she gets to keep who she is. I hope they keep mm-hmm. her styling and her personality and stuff. I really want her to stay there. And just just like she keeps showing up now where he is, I want her to just do that and him realize, like, like basically 
because that is something that she did do before they got together. She just kept saving his butt. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so, right. like, from smaller things and, and, and dealing with some of the, you know, the high school stuff. And, again, and I know we're going to talk about this in a minute, but it reminded me so much of the MJ or the, the, the interactions with all these teens reminded me so much of the 90s cartoon, so much of, like, just high school life and a lot of the things. Like, there were so many moments in this film that I don't want them to lose, and that's one of them. I don't, I don't want them to all of, all of a sudden give her a makeover. Like, it would be the only, the only right. thing that I would find that interesting for is if they have to go to some type of fancy event, like Tony Stark invites them to something and all of a sudden she decides to doll, doll herself up for the event. You know what I mean? But I, but I would want her, like, wearing Converse or being completely, like, not <laughs> able to walk in heels or something. Like, I, I like that she's awkward. I like that. Yeah, that's important. Mm-hmm. But the teenage thing in this movie was hilarious. Like, all those little moments, like, when – Shocker and um, one of his henchmen come to the school, and 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 Peter and um, and Kenny are hiding, and Kenny's like by the the window with the chess players, and the dude just kind of looks out the window. Like, dude, what are you doing? He's go, hi, hi, yeah, I'm, yeah, just hang out. What are you doing? And he's like, chess. Like you know, they're just so cute and so like it. It, it doesn't feel. I think the thing that I'm tired of is like the WB casting 30-year-olds as high school students. Yeah. So, it's, so it's, yeah. it's really nice to see. I mean, you're a teenager. teenager sorry, you're a teacher, David. So you tell me. These, mm-hmm. They felt authentic to me. It felt very authentic. It also, you know, the, the handling of adults, you know, was actually pretty um, complex. And these are not the sort of usual sort of throwaway idiot teacher cliches um the shop teacher yeah who's doing his crossword the older guy who's clearly about to retire who's doing crosswords that actually i thought was pretty funny but you know most of the teachers they're very pretty earnest and they care and um and and i thought that was cool because it's you know it's just such an easy thing to do uh and to try especially if you're trying to make laughs and do it at the expense of the adults and um so yeah I, i thought the teachers were well handled um, the fact that it's a science high school is very much sort of very smart, uh, very much in keeping with what it is today. The fact that Flash now is not, no longer a jock, but just a smarty guy who's also a nerd in his way, but, you know, mm-hmm. just has his own. He's, he's sort of trying to be the cool nerd, sort of the, yeah. the, the sort he's of neo-nerd. Yeah, he's a nerd with access to a really yeah. expensive car, basically. Like, he has the yeah, really expensive exactly. car. And he knows how to do his hair, and like these are the things he has. So he's like, I'm going to use this over everyone else. He does. He's rich, right? right. Exactly. Well, he just he just happens to still be a jerk, which is what's kind of awesome. I mean, but I know like, all of them. Rich, so many of right? us. What was that? He's also clearly rich, as you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like yeah. That sports cars. I mean, he they, he has a car, and they live in New York. One. Two, right, he has right, that right. car, and they live in New York. Right. Um, so I definitely yeah. and he's, he's privileged. He that. was privileged. Like the the date that he went on with the girl, and like his whole dialogue, like, no, that is not how you serve lobster. That's just not how you do it. Right. right and she was yeah. clearly annoyed because they, he clearly just made a scene at somebody's restaurant, and you know, it's just he, he's grown up privileged. So the the subtlety there yeah. 
And it's funny because it was something that I could relate to a little bit, but the subtlety there was what I think people miss many times. A lot of people will look at this and like, like, oh, you know, it's diverse or whatever. It was great that they made him, you know, uh, um, Middle Eastern and he made, you know, but Peter was still in the same school with him. But how often, you know, is it usually the the brown person that's supposed to be low income or basically blue collar and the the white jock or the white privileged. In this case, they made um, the Middle Eastern character, and I'm saying Middle Eastern because I don't want to say he's Indian. Not, I did not look up his um, heritage. Um, but they made him trying to the, – the teasing he was giving over Peter wasn't just the fact that he felt he was better than him in terms of smarter. He was lording over him also a little bit like, I'm rich and you're not, you know. Yeah. We know where, we know where you live. Like, you're not rich. And that's a little bit of his um, – that was also a little bit of his panic going to the party, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, was crazy. Not, yeah. Yes, because he knew they had – a lot of the kids had more money than he did. So I think that was the other um, the other thing with him that was that was going mm-hmm. on because a lot of people don't realize like when diversity is like because a lot of schools and things like this like kids will divide themselves upon any lines they can find if it's not race many times so like if the school's diverse trust me classism is always there so mm-hmm. that I think was an interesting layer that a lot of people aren't talking about because everybody's like, oh, yay, it's diverse. And I'm like, which I think is wonderful. But the subtle layers of classism there, um, also, like we talked about earlier, like the, the mixed race, um, you know, kids and actually addressing that a little bit and actually playing on the audience's um, uh, uh, own stereotypes that are in their own heads, you know, to actually bring right. other, you know, characters to life. But I, I still like, I mean, I really thought it was um, – a cute high school. Did you guys catch the principal? Did you guys know who that was? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. Who was the principal? Kenneth Choi plays the principal, and his name is uh, Morita, I believe, and he is essentially the grandson of his character in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. His, uh, oh, his right. grandfather he's, he's, is Jim Morita, one of the Howler yeah. Commandos, yes. So he's oh, even, the, and yeah. there's a shot in his office where you see the old black picture. and white picture and, uh, of himself in, you know, uh, World War II, you know, uh, in his uniform. So that was a nice little, um, you know, uh, callback to the first Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, so, yeah, and that was, that was nice as well. Um, and, and also back to, you know, John Hughes. Hughes was, uh, he, he may have, fought, you know, failed in, in race, but class really drove a lot of John Hughes films. I think more than he, he talk about a lot, you know, um, when it, uh, especially, mm-hmm. um you know, the fact that some kids, the kids are, there's a clear delineation between the kids who have money, the kids who don't, uh, pretty in pink and uh, some kind of wonderful being the most yeah. pronounced or that, that, that's totally what it's about. And so, yeah, and that's definitely is a play in homecoming. Um, you know, and of course the, the other thing about, and yes, the, 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 the whole thing with, um, 
uh, Michael Keaton answering the door uh, uh, for Liz. And it is interesting because, yes, right, some people, they're just so sort of discombobulated, whereas, you know, my wife is mixed race, uh, her dad's white. And so, yeah, when we saw it together, we, I mean, that was a, we we were like, we sort of did a, oh, but it wasn't for, there wasn't a second that any of us thought that he wasn't her dad. And so it's interesting because using that to place, to set up that, that reveal, because, right, you're not expecting him to, his wife is mentioned, but you just assume she's white. And also in terms of class, we know that he's making money illegally for uh, all these years, but we assume he's a blue collar guy. So we also aren't thinking that that house could be his, you know, right. we're expecting yeah. I mean, her, right. her dad to be a, a doctor class. or a lawyer. Yeah. I mean, the movie has a ton to do with class. Actually, Brett is working uh, on his piece for our site, which is going to be up tomorrow, which is called Spider-Man colon class war um, because there is so much class <laughs> discussion in this movie. I mean, you can look at, like, one of the things, living in New York, I, I'm often called upon to answer questions for folks, like, what is the social class we should be presuming about this person based on where they live and the look of their apartment? So, you know, Peter lives in Forest Hills, which is a, you know, fairly diverse area in terms of income levels. It's certainly a group, an area that has a lot of gentrification that's been going on, but also a lot, you know, there's also long-term rent-stabilized units there. Now, the building that he and Aunt May live in is a large building, which means it could have rent-stabilized units. Uh, the apartment that he lives in mm-hmm. could literally be my apartment. So I think that from this, we don't really know if Peter is middle class or working class. It really could be either of those. We really don't know. Um, I mean, right. being in a one no, household. No, I actually, I disagree. But. I actually disagree there. I just, I disagree a little bit because when you look at the car that Aunt May is driving, and when you look at, um, because I don't think. Granted, it is New York, and on-the-street parking is a pain in the ass. And, and, and often the side of street parking is literally the bane of my existence. She's still driving an 80s Volvo. Yeah, but I don't know anybody with a nice car. I mean, like, not even rich people. Like, I don't – I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a good – that's a pretty old car. I feel like – and yeah. I'm not saying she was – I'm not saying they're lower class. I'm saying working class. She's technically a single mom. Even though she she even though both his parents are um she is his primary caretaker she is it is a single income household he is a full time high school student it's not like he he's not you know taking pictures yet for the um to bring in extra money and he is constantly worried about like let's not give her one more thing to worry about so that's why right. I kind of I really feel like even though we don't know how much rent they're paying, I still feel it's working class. I still feel that, that that would be because they would have. I just feel like they would have given her. Um, I don't know. I just feel like she would have been styled differently. Even her glasses. I'm like, eh. I just feel like a fashionable as well as but, a lot of the stuff differently. Yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, I think like thematically, like Spider-Man has always been a really strongly working class identified character. So that would be the tradition yeah. of what they've yeah. done in the past. But I, I think that right. like. It's, but it's, an, it's a neighborhood that's changing a lot, and I think it's sort of, you know, I think the metaphor of the story is, is strongest if we presume that that's the case, that that, you know, because basically, mm-hmm. like, Tony uses him. Tony uses, um, Tony uses, uh, I say Miles, uses Peter basically just for what he wants. And, you know, you have um, uh, Michael Keaton, whose performance was incredibly good, Jesus Christ, that man is talented. Yeah. 
wow, knock my socks off, um, you know, is very much someone who sees himself as a small businessman, you know, his particular accent makes you think he probably grew up working class, even though he's rich now. And who certainly as a rich person still is not, I mean, no one's in the same fucking class as Tony. Right. Um, and has resentment right. towards the fact that he's not able to bid on contracts the same way that Tony is. Um, and that the, you know, when he put out a financial outlay to get this work, he actually was risking something. And when Tony goes to put a bid in, it's not a risk for him. But he is also, you know, throwing his weight and power around to scare the comparatively, like, you know, less affluent Peter, right? Like, I mean, that house is crazy. Uh, I actually also was spent probably too much time trying to figure out where I think the house is supposed to be. Um, right. house. I, I, I'm fairly confident that all the stuff in that neighborhood were shot in Los Angeles and not in New York. There's like lots of hills. This was shot in... The film was shot in primarily in Atlanta, as are almost all the Marvel the Marvel Studios films. Uh-huh. So that yeah. l- that lends it, uh, uh, you know, it has it's that's another thing that's a, diver- a diversion from past Spider-Man films. We don't really see him in Midtown on a glass skyscraper or swinging through traffic like we, you know, this is a very outer borough. Uh, and I'm not a New Yorker. I'm 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 from LA. I've been to New York, you know, four, five, six times in my life, and I love it. But you know, I'm coming at this from a, I have a different perspective. So yeah, to me, I read this. Okay, this is a really outer borough Spider-Man, as he should be, because he's new at it. He's this is where he lives, Queens, you know, home of the Ramones, which got their shout out at the at the end Force uh, Park specifically. So yeah, and they're using Atlanta. Um, to really sort of drive that. They sort of leaned into the fact that they're shooting in Atlanta, which is so good with all the trees and everything. So, yeah, I'm sure that house is in Atlanta. Most of the, the whole scene of him running through the neighborhood, that, that, that red like Atlanta to me. But, I, yeah, I know they, they shot most of it there. They did some work in, in uh, New York just for, you know, just to, 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 yeah, to there was give it enough authenticity. There. there was definitely some exterior there, but I saw the movie um, with my boyfriend who is from Queens, and it, when the, you saw the signs, uh, subway stop for 23rd and Eli, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's 23rd and Eli. Well, the next shot, we were like, that's not Queens. Like, where are we? <laughs> but that's not across the street from the shot we just saw. So, right. <laughs> so that that's probably one of those scenes that was, like, in Atlanta. Like, they probably mm-hmm. mixed stuff in. Yeah. Um, there were some definitely iconic sections and moments and then but even some other little things were very New York also there's something different about um, a kid no matter what nationality that grows I mean no matter what ethnic background that grows up in the city of New York like in Queens in Brooklyn how not across the board but a little bit he spoke a couple languages. Like, he spoke mm-hmm. a little, we call Spanglish. Mm-hmm. You know, he spoke Bodega Spanish. Right. He didn't speak yeah. necessarily, like, Sicilian <laughs> Spanish. He, he knew enough to understand that, the you know, the Bodega owner was talking about his his aunt. But, like, we were cracking up because certain things were so New York. Because, yes, I, like, around the corner for me, like, right now, if I hang out the phone and go around the corner to the Bodega, I can pick up some chips, I can pick up a sandwich, and there will be a cat laying on top of the counter. Like that is that very cat, very. Now that cat was a long-haired cat, which I have yet to see a long-haired cat in a bodega. But I was very relieved <laughs> that the bodega cat. Was I felt very, very strongly, positively about the bodega store owner as a, you know, like that yeah. guy definitely. Uh, 
I was, I was curious what Peter was going to order. I was kind of like, oh, my God, are they going to make this be a thing about ordering a chopped cheese? And that's not really Queens. But, um, <laughs> but they totally have that. But I, I'm a little I, – I, I just needed for my own sanity to come up with at least a headcanon of where Liz Allen's mansion is. So after some <laughs> right. amount of research and conversation with, uh, with some fellow New Yorkers, uh, my headcanon is that either Liz Allen's family mansion is either in – there's an actual part of Forest Hills that I haven't been to before called Forest Hills Gardens that's very wealthy and has separated houses that are large, although they have a bit more de- – quite large, I should say – Although they have a bit smaller, they have a, they are a bit more dense than where her neighborhood was. She could be there, or mm-hmm. she could be uh, south shore of Staten Island. Because remember, his mom, I'm sorry, May is like, oh, a suburban kid. Uh, yeah, people from New York City yeah. certainly refer to Staten Island as the suburbs. Now, it is also possible mm-hmm. that, the, that the writers of the movie might think that that house is in Long Island or Westchester County. However, you cannot go to a New York City public magnet school if you don't live in New York City, and Long Island and Westchester are not in New York City. So part of me was like, I think the filmmakers think that she's in Long Island or Westchester, but she couldn't be. So I have to figure out where I think she is based on my knowledge of the rules of the New York City public school system. So those are my little <laughs> hand challenge to where Liz Allen's family's mansion is. Um, I hope other people care because I spent too much time thinking about this. Um, as a as a as a someone from the other on the other side of the country, I find this all very fascinating. So yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Um, Thank you. But yeah, I, have no, also, I, 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 have, I I have also seen, I wondered a little I've about seen that parents too. do parents do some I've seen parents do some incredible things to get them into certain schools and to make sure that they're in certain districts, like a grandparent or a cousin or an aunt that lived in within the the, uh, the catch borders. Yeah. And they, yeah, they get they just get all the mail and everything sent there, um, so that the child can go to the school, and they just drive them in, or they take the bus. It's good. Yeah, I've seen some really interesting ways of making sure that a child can qualify for a magnet school. <laughs> it's, I mean, and Adrian Adrian Toomes wouldn't stop. He wouldn't go. He'd That's go three all point. in. I think. Adrian <laughs> yeah, Toomes could get be a kid using... in the school. Adrian Toomes could be using his mother's address in Parkchester <laughs> as a fake address so that his daughter can go to what's essentially Bronx science, except it's in Queens right. in this movie. That's possible. Right. That's, that is a very Adrian Toomes thing to do, come to think of it. Hmm, interesting <laughs> point there. I also was thinking, so, you know, we have, like, there's definitely, you know, who gets to get away with making money off the crisis capitalism that has come to New York City right. after, like, superhero battles, you know. I was pissed, just like Adrian Toomes. I was pissed at Tony Stark yes. and the yes. feds when they came in. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, the Vulture, I mean, I think Marvel, let's, let's, let's give a Marvel Studios a hand. They might have solved their hero, their their villain problem. You know, mm-hmm. like we may have, they may have, they may have turned a corner here because we're getting a string of their projects where the yeah the villains are actually quite strong. I mean, you may not have loved Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two as much as one, but Ego is a pretty fascinating uh, antagonist. So yeah, yeah. this in Vulture, 
Vulture's up there. I mean, he, he's he's really fantastic. You completely empathize with him. You feel, you know, you you see. Obviously, this guy goes too far, but you completely understand why he is. He's in perfect for a perfect villain for our time and a perfect villain for Spider-Man. Um, and this is the Vulture, who you know, frankly, isn't the most interesting guy. They they really they saw this in him that he literally is a Vulture, and uh, in, in in you know, performing a certain kind of Vulture capitalism uh, mm-hmm. was pretty brilliant and. Uh, yeah, I think they deserve a lot of credit because, again, I was, I mean, I thought Michael Keaton, that's interesting when I heard about it, but the vulture did not immediately make me go, oh, yes, because, you know, Spider-Man antagonists have, uh, are not, some, you know, his antagonists are somewhat uneven. Some of them are really interesting and great, and others are, you know, sort of like goofy, and, and you just sort of, you know, take them too seriously, but they really did something, mm-hmm. they made something really great with this. You know, um, my only pain, and I tweeted about this, and I'm sorry if I have to bring it up. My great pain here is that we will never get the sequel, the follow-up that I want, which is D'Onofrio's Kingpin, to be brought into this with Spider-Man, the next Spider-Man, uh, and possibly a team up with Daredevil, because I think that would be really um, in keeping with all the themes that have been started in this in, in Homecoming. Um, but because of the weirdness between Netflix, the Netflix Marvel and Marvel Studios, I, unfortunately, that's unlikely. And of course, at the end, we get the suggestion that we're going to have a Sinister Six uh, at some point, if not in yeah. the next film in the in the third. Which you know, I'm I, I not I'm not thrilled about a Sinister Six. Uh, that doesn't immediately grab me um, like it like it might grab others. Um, and then, of course, the big elephant in the room is Norman, uh, the, the Osborns, and if they're ever going to show up uh, into this universe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, you know, I have very limited complaints about the movie, to be honest. One of, one, one of them was, like, there seems to only be one character, and he's, like, literally unnamed, who we could, who we could identify as being gay or lesbian, or bi, or anything. Yes. <laughs> like, there's that uh-huh. one kid. I thought he was like, well, there's no... It was one of, one of Liz's friends? Yes, exactly. Yes. The boy who she's talking with about which superheroes mm-hmm. they want to kiss, or fuck, or kill. And that is yeah, the only... Yeah. Like, what are... Just like we're speaking, like, you know, that's just bullshit. There should have been, like, half of those kids should have been bi, or queer, or in some way. Like, that's just silly. And it's stupid that the movie thinks it can't do that more clearly. Mm-hmm. I think that they, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't have. Don't. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm. I'm saying that they were already running the risk of, um, and and at first, and I will say this. My first reaction, at first looking at the city, was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. This looks like my New York. But then when I was looking at the framing of who was in every frame, and my eyes just can't help doing that because I'm an editor, but it seemed like every frame was like, okay, let's make sure we have both African-Americans there. Okay, great. And there's an Asian person in the background. And then there's (laughs) – so at first I was like, it's too bad that there don't seem to be any LGBTQ characters. And then when they had him and he had a significant – he's lying, not just – we hit somebody in the background that we were just to assume – I thought it was great, but you're right. They could have had more. It was so interesting because sometimes I kind of feel like when 
somebody who is not a person of color or LGBTQ or somebody who's normally underrepresented is not in the writer's room or is not directing or is not behind the lens, sometimes you can see it because there's some Mm -hmm. little small missteps that happen. It's like make sure that we see all the things as opposed to make sure that we feel and connect to every single one of these characters. And I do think the leads we did get to connect with. And I, but in terms of that, I think there was a couple places that I wish I felt, I wish I got more out of that young man that we were, you know, that we're talking mm-hmm. about who doesn't seem to have a name. I wish we got more out of the Asian girl who I looked up to find her name was Cindy, you know, on IMDb. I wish we got a few lines out of her and she didn't just get one line like Jubilee and X-Men. Like, I wish, <laughs> I wish there was a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, it's very interesting. It's very, very interesting. Um, but overall, I really think, like, if this was a reboot, I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I think, oh, just for folks who don't know, Cindy Moon is a character who's a pretty new Marvel superhero whose name is Silk, and she's great, and she's Korean, and she, yeah. like, lives so in I New really, York, really and she's this age. I really she totally hope that her. she is Cindy. Yeah. yeah. I want her to be Cindy badly. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have one of our listeners um, at German City Girl, really, and I, she's the only person I've seen voices, says that, you know, the three female characters could have been better written and had more depth than they do. I. I personally think that they were very well written and they just aren't big enough roles. Like what we have of them, I think yeah. is really good. There just isn't that I, much, I agree. but there isn't that much of anybody other than Peter really anyway. Like Ned right, doesn't right. have a character arc. Like Ned does get to do what Ned wanted to do, which was he wanted to be the guy in the chair and he got to be the guy in the chair, but he doesn't have personal growth really. Like it really is just Peter and the vulture. Like I, you know, I, I want more from them because there should be more of them, but I think yeah. that's, you know what I mean? Like, I, that's just not quite where I would have come down on this. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot that they could do. Um, there's uh, they did a lot of great things in terms of creating a really rich and diverse world. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a Spider-Man movie, and they've got to, you know, move a lot of plot along, and and so yeah, um, you know, there's always there's always room for growth, and I definitely hope that, you know, we get to see more of them. But I think that they were pretty, the the sort of the inner circle at least were pretty well written, pretty well defined, um, you know, um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing where they go from here with that. Um, of course. You know, in between now and then, a year from now is the first, uh, the next Avengers film, and which presumably Spider-Man is uh, going to be dragged into that, um, into that uh, drama and you know, with Thanos and all that, um, either in the third or the fourth film. But you know, we'll be, we'll see our next installment pretty soon because again, they're trying to get. I think the whole the idea of the whole trilogy is in high school, which you know, it's, that's pretty ambitious. Um, yeah. He's 15 <laughs> now, and so. Right, that they're going to, you know, because I was thinking maybe just the next film was when he's sort of, you know, finishing up, and then the third film is uh, the good old Empire State University. University, but, yeah. Um, I, think, I, I think they're actually trying to do a Harry Potter where the third film is uh, graduation. So, you know, we'll see. Um, but, you know, I think they did. They, they should be commended for a lot of it. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I'm very looking, much looking forward to seeing where the character goes from here. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of the? Mm-hmm. You know, people have criticized the movie for having numerous people talk about how hot Aunt May is, and kind of like really lampshading that <laughs> hardcore. And I, I know that it should bother me, but it, it didn't bother me because I was like, well, yes, of course, that's what people say. I. In the, right. I, I mean, but I, didn't, I, I don't actually, know. I don't know. I actually had more of a problem in in Civil War with people with Robert Downey Jr. Like that's her aunt. Oh my God, she's so hot. But yeah, that was her yeah. aunt. And I'm and I'm like that pissed me off more than anything because of like the blatant ageism. I'm like, yes, hello, like. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, objectification, absolutely, but. Because most of the time the person is saying it is Tony Stark, and he objectifies everybody, <laughs> and that is his mo. And he is mm-hmm. not and he is not PC and does not care. That is the only reason why it doesn't bother me because that is I'm not even just canon; it's just true to form. It's true to Tony Stark. It's true to um, Robert Downey Jr. Like it's like it's, <laughs> that's art imitating right. life and imitating art. Um, right. It's usually coming out of his mouth, which is why I would have been very creeped out if it was one of the kids, like you know, calling her a milf or something. That would have really yeah. freaked me out. Um, they, but, they, yeah. they, 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 they hinted at that. With Ned clearly has a he, he the way he delivers hot by May. It's a little yeah. Like, it, it, it's a, there's a little something on it, but it's, I'm glad they didn't go into the right because that would be the the corny thing to call her a milf or a. A, an elf, I guess, you know. Um, you know, <laughs> you know what that, that's like interesting? To, but, <laughs> that, yeah. that completely flew over my head, and this is also showing how I was raised. I'm trying to figure out why this child is calling her by her first name. I was stuck on that. Uh-huh. I didn't even think about the fact that he had a crush on her. I like, didn't call her maid. What is up? Right, what right, right. Like, Mrs. Parker, I don't understand, or whatever her last name is. No, it's definitely, right. it's definitely a culturally, like, culturally specific thing, like, who, which families use first names for kids to address out yeah. of. My, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We, I, uh, yeah, I I called adults by their by their first names, and my parents would freak out if you called them like other stuff. And yeah, that's like it's just it's it's yeah, like you know we're, I don't know like right. it's, it's, it's I, and I feel almost like you can tell with people's families based on things like like where in the country they live and like religion and things yeah. like that. Um, yeah, but absolutely. But speaking of actually things like religion, so Peter Parker was sort of coded as Jewish, like many of. Marvel's characters at the time it was created, and certainly Forest Hills, uh, you know, was it, it, you know it was a relatively Jewish, although not hyper Jewish area. Um, and Peter Parker's aunt is specifically mentioned as being Italian in this. I'm assuming because yes, of what the yes. A is. Um, right, it's right. sort of interesting. Like I don't, you know, I, is this Peter Parker an Italian American Peter Parker? Like, you know, that last name doesn't. It's just like whatever. Like it's it's sort of an interesting question to me. I mean, being New York, like. If he's a white person, there's a good chance he's Italian or Jewish. So that's right. that's um, entirely right. reasonable. But it was, but like specifically saying she's Italian might be giving us, like, that's not to say that he necessarily is, but like maybe we have an Italian American right. superhero. We haven't really right. had one in the Marvel universe yet. I don't know. I mean, the fact that Marvel still maintains these weird wasp last names for characters from New York City when there's like nobody <laughs> with a wasp name from New York City mm-hmm, <laughs> is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, 
but but yeah, I don't know. Maybe Peter Parker's Italian American. I'm Jewish, and I, I you know, I, I I'm like I, I since I, we should have Miles. It should be Miles. It shouldn't be one of us. I <laughs> I'd be a little bit sad to have him not be Jewish at all anymore. He could be he could be a mix. You know, it's a pretty common combination. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that that definitely the fact that she was uh, mentioned as Italian was yeah, I thought very interesting and mm-hmm. right. I mean, I took it of course that she is and that you know she has some uh, Italian. Uh, big name that maybe we'll hear one day and that she married into this, um, you know, strangely waspy uh, New York uh, family, but uh, who's not uh, rich or anything. But, yeah, it is general. I mean, I'm frankly just always happy to see women of that generation. Um, Marissa Tomei, by the way, is about, what, five months older than Robert Downey Jr.? Um, so, you know, I'm just I'm happy to see women over 45 in the Marvel universe, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe at all, and because I think that's one area where they need to do a, uh, a lot of improvement, and I, it seems to be coming uh, slowly but surely. So, um, yeah, it's it's a nice addition. I mean, and she did a great job with May her own sort of point of view, um, you know, and, you know, giving her this sort of Gloria Steinem, uh, 70s Gloria Steinem uh, with the glasses and the, her outfits, um, you know, it was an interesting choice. And I, 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 I like the character enough, and I, I, I was always glad to see her. And, you know, she can be tough. I mean, I, I think Sally Field didn't have such a great time because I don't think they had much of a read on her besides, you know, she's beyond. And, you know, uh, so, yes, Sally Field mentioned that, you know, it, it was pretty much a paycheck for her because I don't think they had any sort of uh, – they knew what to do with Aunt May except for mm-hmm. her be the person Peter Peter doesn't want to hurt any anymore. So, um but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and of course, it'll be great to see what happens going forward uh, with May now as a you know in on it and uh, no longer being this woman that you know because again, there's a sexism to this whole thing of not telling the person, the woman closest to you that you're a superhero, like you know that you have to be protected and sheltered. And so it's refreshing that they know they get to be in on it and sort of contribute and 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 be be part of the the struggle and. And, you know, it makes them closer to the characters. You know, she uh-huh. and Peter's relationship now will be so much more interesting than what anything we've seen before. Agreed. And she already was, like, you know, she actually has personality and has a real sense of humor and, like, relates to him in a, in, in, in a good way I, that I don't think we've seen right. in that many relationships like that. I also want to read out something that Hello Train Cat tweeted, which was, I hope MCU Uncle Ben, when alive, had the same je ne sais quoi as hot Aunt May. And men from far and wide used to say, wow, what a fox. So sad to hear about your hot uncle's passing, Peter. That man had the ass of an angel. <laughs> um, anyway, I... Maybe we I, can I, get I, Rob I, Lowe. Maybe we can get oh Rob God. Lowe for a flashback. Yes. Yes. I'm, like, so supportive of this. We were going to 80s movie route. I like it. Thank you. That's very helpful. Yeah. Um, no, I love that generation. I, I'm I'm 40. I just turned 46, so I love that generation because they're just older than me. They were the they were the young people in the movies that I grew up watching. So I have a complete soft spot for you know that whole that that whole age group that Downey, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Marissa Tomei are part of. So I can hmm. I can they're at my fingertips to be to cast and things. <laughs> I have just a couple more things that I really wanted us to touch on while we were here, and just I mean you spoke a little bit about the schools already, uh, but I I would like to hear sort of like I mean you're in public big city like public high school you know like 
do you think that the sort of social dynamics that the school represented and the, the teachers in general, like what did, were the high school kids real high schoolers to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I took my, my, I took my sons, well, the, the five and a half year old, you can hear him right now because he's running around in a Spider-Man costume around in the backyard <laughs> with me. But so you, you can hear him just a little bit, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so I took my, my older son is just about to be 18. He just finished high school and he went with a friend of his uh, with me to see it. Yeah. They both, you know, they're, they both gave it a, 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 you know, sorry, passing grade. Sorry about that. Uh, they both gave it a passing grade for really authenticity from their perspective as students today. And as a teacher today, absolutely. The kids felt real. They didn't, their lines didn't feel like what some adult thinks kids are saying. They didn't try to do slang. They didn't try to make them cool and, you know, all that stuff. It just was, you know, they're just their people uh, who happen to be young. Yeah. And the fact, again, that we're in this era where, schools are so specialized now that you can go to a high school, um, you know, that, that uh, I don't know how, how old the Bronx uh, high school is, how long they've been there, but that sort of idea is now everywhere, you know, that this is a STEM school for science, technology, engineering, uh, mathematics, so that, and that there's a certain cachet, there's a coolness to studying the sciences, um, you know, for as, as we wrestle with our general American anti-intellectualism, we are actually <laughs> creating a generation that sort of, sort of see, doesn't see science and math as being a drag or, 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 you know, annoying. They actually are growing up with this idea that it's, it's viable, it's cool, it's important. So, yeah, all of that really worked. And, again, I mean, I think the teachers, for the little bits that they got, um, and I'm a, big fan, I'm a big fan of Selenis Leva from Orange is the New Black. It was nice to see her, uh, you know, play a teacher and something completely different from Gloria on that show. Um, yeah, the teachers, even with the little bit that they got, they, they, they did very a good job. So, uh, yeah, I think, it, it, you know, you can tell they did their homework uh, in short. So I certainly give it a, give it a passing grade uh, in terms of how it, it dealt with uh, being in a, a high school today. Awesome. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm like in my late 30s, and I really – Hello. Hey, I think I think we lost her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard late. I heard late thirties, uh, and that was it. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, I was. I couldn't hear anything either for a second. So maybe she'll be back in a moment. Yeah. Alana, hopefully you can hear us. In the meantime, what did you think about the, I don't know if we're still recording or with our status. I know. What did you think? What no, did you think I, of the I, school I, was? I missed that last one. What did I think of? The school and the way it was handled. Just from oh, yeah, no, I thought the way the school was handled was wonderful. And I, the, the thing that I always laugh at a lot as, at a lot of these movies and stuff is like how unrealistic stuff is. But he was, yeah. you know, they had homework. They had detention. Um, I loved him running out of school with the suit in the backpack and, like, got to find an alley and change. And, you know what I mean? Like, he just doesn't appear mm-hmm. in the suit and stuff. 
I liked, um, like, I remember thinking, like, wow, I, went to, I wish I went to high school like this. They had, like, tons of extracurricular stuff. Um, right. And I liked the fact that there were all these different aspects of, like, school life. They had the assembly. They had Han- Hannibal Barris's character as, like, the coach. They had, um, you heard home. You saw him in chemistry class. You saw him in Spanish class. You saw him in history class. Like, they were in front of the class where uh, they were going over the Sokovia Accord. I'm like, I think that might be the other guy. Like, I think we actually watched him go through almost a day's worth of classes. Um, so, yeah, I find that very, I found their high school experience really interesting and refreshing whether or not that's exactly what high school you know looks like right now no but yeah. i feel like i've seen all of those kids stumbling out of a school you know what i mean at three o'clock on certain days or, or onto the subway or onto buses like i feel like i've seen those kids they seem very real to me and i loved the scene with ken kenny who was like we got a Spanish test. He's like, no, 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 no. I got to go do this thing. I might not even be in high school anymore. And he's like, no, we really do have a Spanish test, though. <laughs> hey, it's Ilana. Sorry. My computer freaked out, and I'm really glad that the episode didn't short circuit in the process. So, happy know, okay. Thank you for keeping it up. Thank you for keeping it up. Yes, you are still on the air. It did continue. Everything's fine. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I'm glad we got to talk so, about the yeah, we, thing but All more. we heard you say was like mid-30s or something like that, and then you disappeared on it. It's going to die. I was going to say, like, you know, like, for me, like, in my experience in high school, it wasn't whether or not you were good in school that made you a nerd or not. It was, like, whether you understood. Well, by the time I was in high school, there wasn't really an in-group or out-group because my high school was too damn big and nobody cared. But when I was in elementary school and I went to a smaller school and it was, you know, like the Jewish day school and kids were terrible – like, if you were a good student or not, wasn't, wasn't what made you cool or not. Like, it had, it completely had to do with other status symbols. So I'm, I'm really glad that the media really need to just keep resting on that as if, we, that, as if that was the only determinant of insiders and outsiders, you know. Um, when it's not. Uh, but the one other thing I also wanted to hit on when I, uh, in, you know, in the guise of this podcast is the idea of crime in the movie. Um, you know, Peter Parker, like, doesn't have any crimes to stop, which makes sense because there isn't a lot of street crime in New York, you know? The crimes are primarily being committed on Wall Street by the banks and by people for dummy landlords who are, like, chasing people out of their homes. So the fact that the one street crime that Peter Parker has to address really is a bicycle theft, which is actually completely very, very frequent, disturbingly so. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think also a lot of the street crime, street crime, they, people know their assailant. Like, I mean, I live in, I live in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, and there's still crime here, but, like, if somebody gets shot over here, it's usually because they know them, the person, and they stole from them or something, you know what I mean? Like, and it doesn't happen all the time. It's rare. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, like, if I, I would not walk down the street and go, oh, my God, someone's going to shoot at me. This is not New York in, like, 1982. This is not, right. you know, it's a completely different New York, and I do agree that it reflected that. But I, and, but I do think it was funny how he was bored. <laughs> He's yeah. like, what do I do? There's nothing to do. Hey, stop breaking into that car. That's my car. 
that's what right, right, right. to me with the guy who was trying to get into yeah. the car, lock his keys in the car, and he stopped him, and then the neighbors are screaming at each other, and then one of those neighbors, of course, is um, Stan Lee. But it's just yeah. funny. How do you do it? Oh, my God. I love that scene yeah. the neighbor standing out the window. I was like, oh, relatable. But, um, like, yeah, here's that regularly. But, yeah, like, I, I'm glad that the movie owned up to the fact that New York isn't, like, this crime-ridden, like, hellscape. Right. Like, the crime-ridden hellscape is on Wall Street, and it's not putting right. Spider-Man as a hero is particularly equipped to address. Um, right. So, yeah. And by that was one of the funniest things to me about um, Dare, about Daredevil, because Daredevil was in <laughs> Hell's Kitchen, and I'm like, Hell's Kitchen isn't even Hell's Kitchen anymore. Like, right, what is right, it going to have But the Hell's Kitchen of Daredevil, when it was upon its inception, it's Disneyland now. Like literally, right, right. So it's so funny to me that I'm like, what is he? What is he protecting? Where is he? <laughs> right. And well, even as an LA person, I I know that. Good. Even as an LA person, yeah. the Hell's Kitchen <laughs> of the comic books has been long gone. And right, so he just yeah. they just they had no choice in that and that, but to just create this sort of well, let's just pretend it's still like that, you know, kind of thing. So and yeah, the thing about the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe is what's so striking is that. Superhero films before 9-11, it was about crime. And growing up in the 80s, you know, that was a huge thing. It was like, oh, the, 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 the streets are filled with roving gangs of punks. And you just, you know, what if, what, if, what if we had someone out there looking for us? And what's so interesting is, right, these new films really don't address that at all. They don't, there's not, aside from sort of Netflix and what they have to do, it's all about terrorism. And so, yeah, and it's really just Peter wanting to get involved in sort of the big game, which is, you know, um, weapons of mass destruction and people sort of, uh, you know, uh, the sort of terrorism that now the superheroes are sort of dedicated to stopping. So, no, that, that was really interesting that they, they didn't try to make, just create this scary New York of yore um, and, and bring that back. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's a shame because, like, um, Peter, definitely, like, I will say something. Here's something for about New York is that they've been closing our firehouses uh, in spite of the fact that there's more and more people living in New York than ever before. So if Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man needs something to do, he could just, like, tune in to, the, like, the 911 scanner to like, right. help, help get people out of burning buildings and, like, maybe, you know, I always, like, get, get, get people who are stuck in traffic to the hospital faster just like carry various like women who are about to deliver into the hospital more rapidly. I think that would be like really helpful. The, really the Raimi the films actually dealt with the burning bill, him Spider-Man as firefighter mm-hmm. a couple times actually. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, they could, they could really return to that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but a very interesting uh, aspect of the, of the new film. Yeah. So I think that was my punch list. Oh, we didn't talk about music that much, but, um, you know, basically, like, I like the 80s throwback choices, but of course I did. I have to wonder if I've always liked older <laughs> music. I don't know if, like, today's kids would be like, why are there no songs that mean anything to me on this? But, you know, I see young people mm-hmm. with Ramones t shirts, and I'm too, quote, young, quote, to listen to the Ramones, but I always listen to the Ramones, right? Like, I don't know. Right. I, I, the 80s throwback was definitely an aesthetic choice. The fact that they chose Can yes. You Hear Me Not. I was so happy to hear a Rolling Stones song that a movie hasn't used to death yet when they chose that. And I'm very pro choosing 
Can You Hear Me Knocking as the song for, for the Vulture, um, I feel right. like that's what he would have put on. And I'm also just glad it wasn't fucking like, Give Me Shelter or Brown Sugar again. I, I complain <laughs> over regularly. Brown, sh- brown Sugar would have given too much away. <laughs> oh, oh, exactly. Oh, oh, God, no. Oh, oh God, yeah. don't make me, don't make me explain this to people, but I will, but that's okay. Just Google it, people. Google it. Um, so my, my, my complaint with music, though, actually, is just that they just use Blitzkrieg Bop twice, which just makes me have to, like, pull rank as, a, as like, a music snob and be like, do you not know any other Ramones songs? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, I get it. The Ramones are from the same, you know, they're local, just uh, they're from Peter's neighborhood, and that was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it was an odd choice, especially when they when they did the Spider-Man um, uh, theme song, uh, at least Joey. I, I assume it's the whole band. I'm not a Ramones uh, yeah. expert, but yeah, I know they, I know they recorded it. But yeah, that was kind of odd. Uh, again, John Watts is like, I think people, especially in today's sort of movie movie geek culture, it's like there's no in between. You know, a director has to be awesome or just suck. And the fact that John Watts is like, you know, he serviced the material. He did what he did enough, just enough. It, he, it's not amazing. I mean, I don't think that this is the sort of thing where like James Gunn, where he, even his music selections are so inspired that you know you're dealing with like a, a you know, a cut above the, the the average director. And that's not really the case here. Like, yeah, the, the some of the music cues were a little more obvious and they weren't quite as interesting, but so what? I mean, it's like it's okay. It doesn't, you know, so John John Watts isn't maybe okay. So he's not a great auteur and everything. But hey, he did a you know he did a good job with the Spider Man movie, especially compared to the last guy who was you know charged uh-huh. in the franchise. You know, he didn't. He smartly didn't commit any of his sins. And, you know, he didn't try to make this a, 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 a you know. I feel like the Web films, the Mark Web films, tried to do like the Nolan, you know, Christopher Nolanized Spider Man, and it just uh-huh. didn't work. You know. Um, um, and this is the first one that has, for me, even with the Raimi films, which I, I like the Raimi films a lot. Well, you know, I think Spider-Man 2 is still sort of gold standard for superhero films. I think that this one, Homecoming and the first Spider-Man are at least tied, if not. I think I actually like Homecoming a little more, but it's hard to say because I just, you know, it's brand new. Um, even the Raimi films didn't quite get the humor right. You know, they, they would, Peter makes, right. you know, Spider-Man makes jokes, but it just it didn't feel organic. Because, you know, it's mm-hmm. Tony McGuire and this very, you know, big eyes and quivering lips and the emotion and so forth. So, yeah, this is the first time you really kind of feel like that's the Spider-Man in the comic books who makes the joke, you know, who's, who's every man, but he's not miserable and he's, you know, he, he, and he has a sense of humor. So, yeah, mm-hmm. thanks for, you know, kudos to him. And, you know, yes, so, so some of the choices, I think the action scene, um, the, vault, the, 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 big, the big third act, and that's become an issue with the comic book film, I feel like the third act mm-hmm. uh, fight scene being sort of engaging rather than just feeling assaultive and sort of over just too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, I think it could have been better in terms of the, some of it was a little too jarring and shaky, and I get it, they're, on a, they're, on, they're hanging onto a plane. Um, that was a moment where, yeah, you could feel that maybe perhaps a more, you know, a uh, seasoned director could have done some, made some more interesting fights. But um, in all in all, uh, I, I think he is to be commended. And, yeah, I mean, some, you know, sometimes people show up and they do the job and they do it well. And it doesn't necessarily, 
you know, you don't have to say I'm a John Watts fan now. I, I, I you know, I swear my sword to him and all future, um, you know, skirmishes <laughs> about directors. But, uh, you know, he, he did a good job. He assembled a good team. And, um, you know, and, 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 uh, and of course, let's not leave out uh, Amy Pascal, the other producer who, uh, you know, uh, behind us, along with Kevin Feige, who, you know, um, of course, it's easy to credit him for everything because he's been shepherding this whole project through, which no no other studio seems to be able to do anything like this. And he, you know, increasingly seems like the mastermind. Um, but, yeah, also Amy Pascal, let's also give her credit, too, for, um, you know, taking this, uh, having a hand in this as well. So. Karama, any last uh, thoughts? No, you know what? I complete. I do agree with, well, I agree with everything you just said, David. I also, <laughs> I want to see it again because I saw it in 3D, but the theater <laughs> I was in, I felt like it was not just that not fake 3D, but it was also dark. So by the time it, when we got to that third act fight, you know, with the planes and everything, it was so dark that I feel like I missed some things. And like you said, it was going very yeah. fast. As an editor, I felt the pacing was really like, I'm like, whoa, we're breaking all kinds of 180 rules here. I don't know what side of the plane I'm on now. <laughs> like, there was right, a lot right. happening. Plus, it was dark. Plus, I had those damn glasses on. So I want to see it again. <laughs> To basically, I want to see it again anyway, but I want to see it again so that I can make sure that I didn't miss anything in that scene. But I will say that the development of his character, uh, that moment of, you know, you need to be Spider-Man, whether you're inside or outside the suit, he really, you know, this man dropped a building on you and tried to kill you, and you're still going in to save his life even though he's just not listening because you just can't, you know, you don't want the girl that you love to be without her father. You know, like those, right. yeah. that moment seemed very, um, that moment seemed, um, again, I, I hate to keep bringing up the animated series, but that kind of was that, that's the reader that I remember. Um, hmm. Wasn't always about taking the out, even when the suit. And by the way, it took me forever to figure out that the voice of the suit was for Connolly. But the the suit, when she she kept saying like, you know, kill mode. And he's like, no. Why? Why do we have to keep killing people? Why? Um, <laughs> that was great. Like, why is that there? <laughs> um, it was interesting because the suit was clearly designed by Tony, but it's being worn by him. So by Peter, who has a different take on life and the world. And, yeah, he's a good kid, but he still could be a brat. I mean, think about it. Flash had the suit. Like half the city would be right. up, you know, um, mm-hmm. which also makes me shudder to think if they move forward and that Flash gets hit with Venom. <laughs> oh, man, ugly, ugly, ugly thing that, that will happen. Um, but... I really the Flash think doesn't have to that... get done. I mean, the Flash, the Flash's story doesn't require. I mean, it depends which version of it. I don't know. My, I like I like the comics when Flash and Peter reconcile as adults. Like Fat Flash, like yeah, it's such a great metaphor that Flash is like, you know, all the little like nerds reading Spider-Man comics in the moment where you know the stories are first coming out, being like Flash Thompson, that cool football player kid, 
hates me as myself, but if he only knew how cool I really was, then he's like, this alcohol flash Thompson character in the comics. He's the biggest mm-hmm, fan mm-hmm. and he hates Peter Parker. And then over time, Flash Thompson grows the fuck up and stops being a bully and becomes friends with Peter, which I think is like just a, a, a lovely and mature thing for the comics to have done. Um, not, that's not to say that all bullies grow up and stop being sociopaths. Many, many of them don't, and you'll see them in Congress. But like, but, um, <laughs> I, I, but I, I thought it was an interesting thing, and I, I like it. So I don't know. I don't think he necessarily has to become Venom. I kind of like Flash. He just grows up to be Flash. But yeah, and I and you're I right. hope, and he I could do, be Venom. You're right. Because mm. He would be. He, well, I mean, I do. There, there was that version. I mean, I'm going to ignore the Topher Grace version of Venom because that was <laughs> no. There's just a lot of no there. But back to the animated series when Flash turned into him or was infected by him, it was um, it was it was sad because you saw the humanity behind him. Now, if they, that actor is able to pull that off, that'd be great. I don't know. Um, I think the next movie is really going to be more about Peter and MJ and um, another series of obviously adventures. But I am curious to see what, because um, they teased his next nemesis at the end of the film, which was Scorpion. Yeah. So I wonder if that's going to be the 2019, you know, evil. Uh, but there's there's so many people in this film. It could be a bunch of people. Um, I just hope they don't do them all at once. <laughs> like they did. Yeah. They've the, also the, teased. Um, they've also teased he'll have another Avenger, sort of a mentor. So of course that's you know is it Cap? Is it Hulk? You know who's going to be the who's going to be do that in the next film? Um, so we'll, I we'll, think it's we'll going to be Cap. There was so much Cap yeah, in this film. It would be like. I feel like Cap kind of mentored him in, indirectly in this film. Right. Because right, every, right. everywhere you turn, turned, it was Cap with his little PSAs on TV. And I just thought that was funny, too, because it was almost back to what he used to do with the USO in right. the first Cap movie. Like when he's not tired, right. he's doing these goofy you know, musical numbers and getting people to buy war bonds and things like that. And it was like the future version of that, which I thought was awesome. But overall, very long story short, I do think it's a fun ride. It's definitely worth seeing. Um, it, it, it is, do they do absolutely everything with diversity right in this film? Not necessarily, but, you know, like a kid that gets a C on a test, I think they did a good job and they can do even better next time. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Tell our listeners where they can find each of you on the internet. Well, you can basically um, find me as the blurred girl everywhere. <laughs> okay. B L E R D G U R L. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And Yep. Uh as for me, I tweet constantly, genius bastard, one word. Uh and also um, let's see, GeniusBastard.com is a website I maintain with also, there's a blog and uh, please go to SepulvedaTheMovie.com um, yeah, I have a feature just uh, last week got put on video on demand, so it's, it's out there too, so, so those are all my places Cool, and I'm at Graphic Policy, of course, Graphic Policy Podcast, if you've missed this show you'll be able to listen to it on our iTunes uh, forever and ever SoundCloud as long as SoundCloud lasts, and uh, Stitcher as well. Um, 
You can always see more great content at graphicpolicy.com. Follow us at Graphic Policy on Twitter. Uh, I myself am on Twitter all the damn time at Elana Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A, Brooklyn. And tomorrow I'll be on Salon Friday, uh, which, which day of the month, Friday, uh, July 14th, I'll be on Salon talking about Game of Thrones at 3 p.m. So thank you, everyone, and hope to have you guys back soon. Keep it geeky. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Oh, and we'll be back next week on Monday at our normal, normally scheduled bat time, bat station, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <laughs>